At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. All that, say, my name is Jim, if you're first time or you've just been around. I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside Lake Orion, and it's a great privilege to be with you today and to have you with us today as we open up God's Word. We're going to be in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6, if you want to look there with us as we look at God's uh, Word together. And uh, man, we are, we are so excited to be able to look at God's Word and all that He has for us uh, today. And um, we're going to be in verse 15 and on. And uh, man, it's amazing to look at this text and everything that comes with it. If you haven't been around, we've been walking through Romans and a series uh, that we're called New-ish. New-ish. That as followers of Jesus, as we've crossed the line and become followers of Christ, we, are become, we become new creations in Christ Jesus. Not new-ish, but many times we struggle and wrestle as we walk along trying to follow in obedience what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And the last number of weeks we've been talking about the struggle that we wrestle with. And it's interesting, as we look at today, as we dive in today, there's this cultural moment um, that has birthed the revival of a conversation that's near to probably every human being, and that is the idea of freedom. It's interesting. The concept of freedom is more than just a conversation point or an ideal or a construct. It's this inalienable right It's causing all kinds of conversations. Are we losing freedom? Man, that question will sure spark some passionate debate in this room, I'm sure. That's not what we're here for. We can talk about religious freedom, financial freedom, personal freedom, uh, psychological freedom, uh, social freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of association, freedom of tyranny and oppression, all the different kinds of freedom. But how would you define true freedom? Do we have it? Have we ever had it? Can we get it? It's interesting. If you, if freedom is this, if this is how you would uh, um, um, define freedom, is the power or right to act or speak and think however we please without any hindrance or restraint, then I don't know if that's really freedom. Do you really have freedom to act and speak and think however you please at any restraint or no hindrance? Um, Are we free to do whatever we want, whenever we want? Are we free to say whatever we want to anyone, no matter the setting? Are we free to steal, kill, and destroy? Man, I hope that most of us in this room, I hope all of us in this room, would answer, no, I don't think that that's okay. That's not freedom. If freedom is defined as living without any boundaries, then freedom mutates into this um, unreserved, violent monster, right? I'll illustrate it this way. It's interesting. Freedom is not just freedom to do whatever we want. This weekend, I was in, uh, yesterday, I was in Saginaw for State Cup soccer games as my daughter ended up losing with both of her teams in the State Cup, and it's a great learning lesson. But they were winning two to nothing in the first half. We thought we were going to win the game, and one of the things that turned the whole thing around was a handball in the box. If you know anything about soccer, you can't use your hands. It's a problem. Um, So there was a cross, and and supposedly it bounced up and hit someone's hands. It was even unintentional, and they scored a goal, and it turned the whole game around. They ended up losing. Now, 
If you were playing soccer and there was no restrictions, I mean, you could just do whatever you want. Grab the ball, chuck it in the goal, pile drive people, tackle them. I mean, there's a reason why it's called soccer or truly football is because you can't use your hand. There's restrictions. And within that restrictions, put whatever sport you want, whatever restrictions there are, there's beautiful freedom within that framework to actually have this amazing game called soccer or football or basketball or hockey or whatever it may be. If you just had no rules, no one would want to play. Say you're playing basketball, you just go for a layup and a guy tackles you, takes your legs out, and you break an arm or whatever it may be. That's not basketball. No one would want to play that. And you have friends that play like that, and you don't want to play with them. Right? That there's something beautiful within playing, within the framework that is given that makes basketball, basketball. Soccer, soccer. The game, the game. Right? Now, the opposite of freedom, unfortunately, is to be enslaved. Now, what a horrible, horrible word or phrase. Dreadful and terrible to be enslaved. And this is, this is what the Apostle Paul uses in Romans chapter 6 to make his point abundantly clear. He uses this metaphor that makes a very powerful point. And he's saying this, that everyone is a slave, but only Christians are truly free. Everyone is a slave, but only Christians are truly free. Free. Only followers of Jesus are truly free. And I want us to wrestle with this question today. This is what I want you to wrestle with. I want you to think about this. Whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Who are you obedient to? Who do you listen to when you're processing, when you're walking? Now, Paul, when he gets to this, he knows that although we're new in Christ and we're saved by grace, we're still going to battle and wrestle and walk through life trying to not walk in our old ways like we were before. That's why we called this series New-ish. Because there's so many believers that are not walking in newness of life, they're walking in new-ish life, some form of new-ish but they're walking in their old ways rather than walking in freedom in following Jesus. And we've talked for the last number of weeks, right, about Romans 6 at the beginning. Just because we're a part of grace and under the umbrella of God's grace does not mean that we're free to do whatever we want. Again, that is unrestricted freedom, that God's grace will never run out, as it says in Scripture, so I can do whatever I want. And we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Hopefully you've gotten the point that that's not the case, but I love a quote by F.F. F. Bruce when he says this, and I think it's very accurate. To make being under grace an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is not really under grace at all. And man, if the last couple of weeks you've sat under the teaching at this church and you know about sin that is just reigning in your life and you just every week are like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I personally want to, out of... The greatest love that I can tell you, you need to do some soul evaluation as to where you are with Jesus. Because the Spirit of God, as far as I read, lives in me and tells me when I am broken and sinful. And I am unable to walk past it over and over again, just be like, yeah, it's no big deal. But that's another story. So 
as you wrestle with the question of who do you obey or who is your master, that's the first thing we're going to look at, is who do you obey? Look with me in verse 15. What then? He's going back to the same question again. Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. He said that in verse 1 of chapter 6. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you see there, he's saying everyone's a slave. It just depends on what you're a slave to. And he's making this comparison in, in he's using this, this cultural moment for them that would have been very relevant for them in the first century Roman world around slavery. So back then, just to get the point across why they would understand it maybe a touch different than you would, and why he's using slavery as an illustration that back then one of every, one of every three people was a slave. That's a lot of slavery. Now, now, if you include in that freed men, which are freed then from slavery, one of two people was either a slave or a former slave. That's a lot of people. So when he's using this illustration, it is poignant in their culture, so much so that they stopped having slaves wear slave clothing so that they wouldn't see how many of them outnumbered everybody else and rose up against power. It's a lot of slavery. So he's speaking and using this illustration to make his point abundantly clear. And his primary point here is that the primary marker of a slave is still obedient. He's saying you are obedient to that which is over you in spiritual terms. So he's saying spiritually, which voice is it that you submit to, conform to, become subservient to, the person, the thing, the authority over you in your life that you constantly answer when he or she or it calls, when they beckon you to move, right? Just let that sit in for a minute. Just think about that for a moment before I go on rambling. What is the voice that when you speak, when it speaks, you listen? No one's home. No one will know. She will never know. The government will never know. What is the voice that when it beckons, you listen? You just need a little bit more. What is it for you? Because it's amazing. If all the limitless options we could have to be subservient to, Paul boils it only down to just two. In verse 16, in all of humanity is either, all of humanity is either a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. There's no third way, Paul says. It's either sin or obedience. Everyone in this room has experienced the first kind, the slave to sin, because we are born that way. But everyone in this room is also invited to experience the second way, being a slave to obedience and experiencing life and freedom and righteousness. You see, the Apostle Paul Oftentimes, as you see the apostles, they're not making or creating up new ideas. All they're doing is they're taking the teachings, oftentimes, of Jesus and then reteaching them again in the epistles. Now, the apostle Paul didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12, but he knew about the teachings of Jesus. Now, listen to Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 31. It sounds very similar. Jesus said this, 
So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, these are people that now believe in him, they're Jewish men and women, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, freedom. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you, are, you will be free indeed. So he's taking a thought that Jesus had already taught, and he's reiterating it. So what he's saying is, and Jesus is saying here is, every time I sin and I step into believing the lie that Satan has for me, I am becoming slave to that. And every time I walk in obedience and I follow after the things of God that God calls me to, I know are true and right and good, and I step in over here, I am acting as a slave to obedience and righteousness, and truly as we get there, freedom. It's the opposite. It's this amazing thing in the kingdom of God that he turns things on its head. How can slavery be freedom? It is. And he's using the metaphor here beautifully to show that. And here's what you'll find even in this text and in this room and in each one of us. The most enslaved ones around us are those who argue they're the most free. If the last couple of weeks you've just been on your own, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, you're probably one of the ones that is the most enslaved in this room. I mean, it's amazing. John Calvin, 400 years ago, said it greatly. He said, the greater mass of vices anyone is buried under, the more fiercely and bombastically does he extol his freedom. And it's true today. Can I tell you, if the last two weeks sitting, sitting under the teaching of Romans, your heart has been saying, I'm good, I'm good. Jim's asked me to come down the last two weeks if they want to pray with me, but I'm good. I don't need to do anything. Can I tell you, you are probably one of the ones who is buried under the heap of slavery to sin and brokenness. Because I can tell you what, as I preached myself the last two weeks, I was broken at my own sin, as we all should be in this room. Not I'm good. No, I am undone. I am overwhelmed. I am not good. So when you think about that, I just want you to wrestle with who or what are you a slave to? Man, maybe for you, you've been here for a long time. You've been in church a long time. For you, it's actually self-righteousness. You're constantly needing others to see you do good or the good you've done. You're always needing others to acknowledge you, that you've served them or you've loved them in this way or that way, desperately needing the people's approval to see you and what you have done for the Lord. Can I tell you, that's just narcissism dressed up in the clothes of self-righteousness and humanity, selflessness and humanity, excuse me. And that's slavery. Because all you're doing is walking through life trying to gain approval from God and people. It's not freedom. Freedom is, man, I am just following Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I don't care who sees them. I got nothing to earn, nothing to gain from anyone. I'm just walking in freedom with Jesus. Man, maybe you're a slave to ambitions. That is a huge one in our culture today. You have this insistent desire over and over again to hustle harder, 
produce results, to move things forward, build it, and succeed. Oftentimes, at the, at the altar, sacrificing your family and those relationships you need most on the altar of ambition and success. I'm too busy to be at church. I have too much going on. I'm too busy. I come to church twice a month. I'm the national average, but I'm too busy to be a part of a community, a small group where people know me and I know them, and that's the way it's supposed to be because I got too much to do. I'm hustling. I don't have enough time to like play with my kids at night, but man, I'm, I'm providing an incredible home for them, and they're going to get an incredible education because I work 80 to 100 hours a week because I'm trying to build up this thing at the stake of ambition. Maybe it's ambition and many different things, but again, you're under the slavery of ambition. That's not freedom. And ambition might be in many different forms. For you, maybe it's appetite. It's the appetite of this insistent desire to buy and buy and buy, to fulfill something in your soul, so much so that your clothes are bored to you after a while, so you finding satisfaction and the approval of other people's appearance. Man, God loves beauty, doesn't he? And so, man, I'm not consumed by this. I just enjoy his good gifts, but your, your, your social media is just all pictures of yourself because you're just trying to gain acceptance from what you look like. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's attention and affirmation. Maybe it's making money. Maybe it's food, like actual food the way I cope with the world around me and my relationship with my spouse or the setting that I'm living in is that I just eat to cope, to try and wrestle through all of this. Man, can I tell you it's impossible to consume your way to satisfaction. It's only found in Jesus. Do the hard work today to look inside, take courage, realize what's there, and confess that to the Lord and say, I want to walk in newness, in freedom. Can I tell you that all the things I listed, and there's probably a ton more, none of that makes you unlovable to God. Can I tell you? None of that. Walking through life in this way is only showing that you are a human being just like the rest of us struggling to try, try and follow Jesus in the way that he calls us to. Can I tell you, there's something that I'm profoundly learning that I learned in the last year that is just, I'm trying to allow it to sink into my heart and my soul, is that oftentimes in our weakness, we think that that is the place where God wants to be the most distant from us. That in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, we feel like that is the place with which God wants nothing to do with us. Can I tell you, I'm learning more and more in your brokenness, in the thing you struggle with the most, the thing that no one else knows about in this room, in that place, God loves you the most. In that place is the place where God wants to meet you the most. In that place in your brokenness is the place that God's heart is broken, and he wants to meet you in that place. For my whole life, I've just ran from God in my brokenness because I'm like, I mean, God now wants nothing to do with my brokenness. He wants perfection. But I'm starting to learn that in my brokenness is the place that God loves me the most. And he wants to meet me in that place. He wants to do the same thing for you. And today, I want you to stop believing the lie of Satan and let these words, as he continues, wash over you, a new voice to be spoken over you. This is what he says as he continues in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves, can I tell you that? If you're in Jesus today, you are not a slave to sin anymore. Let that be spoken over you, that you live by that. 
once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the stand uh, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin. Man, can I tell you today, you are free from sin. You have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitness. Limitations, excuse me. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to the lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to to sanctification. Your members, your physical body, how you function, how you live. Can I just ask you, what does that mean for you today? As you're sitting here and you're processing, you're hearing the word of God, you know the things in your own heart and soul, what does that mean for you today? What, what actual step do you need to make today, tomorrow, to live in freedom? Because we said in the beginning, there's what are you obeying or who are you obeying? And one is sin, it leads to death. The other one is obedience, which leads to freedom and righteousness. So what do you practically need to do today? Because oftentimes we leave church and we're like, yeah, I heard it. And I, man, God spoke to me, Jim. That's awesome. You go about your day. You're three days later and you already forgot about what God did in your heart here and now. So what today do you need to do? Man, if men, if you struggle with lust, what do you need to put on your phone so that that doesn't happen anymore? Practical. Not just be like, man, God, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Practically, if your marriage is in a tough spot, what do you practically need to do today to say, man, I don't want to live with that anymore. I want to walk in newness. Practically today, what is it for you to step into obedience, being a follower of Jesus, is fulfilled throughout life by simple acts of obedience empowered by the Spirit of God. What is that for you? We look, not only when you're wrestling with the question, to whom are you a slave, you have to ask the question, what fruit do you reap, or are you showing, or are you reaping? Look in verse 20. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things with which you, were, you are now ashamed? Excuse me. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. See what he's saying? What fruit do you reap? Like, the way you're living, what is it producing? And he's describing our lives before Christ, that we're unable to pursue any type of righteousness in our own. Like, we, that's only by the power of God, the Spirit of God in us. So he's asking, what did you get as a result of your slavery? What fruit did you experience? What purpose did you have? Whatever you experienced, he's saying it was all rotten produce, essentially. He's saying it was, it was garbage, it was nothing. But now, when you read, it's amazing. After Christ, life has been restored. Man, I hope you feel that way as a follower of Jesus, that when you are, as you're walking day in and day out, you feel restored. Like, following Jesus is, is as we're seeing here, something we're set free to do. But it's amazing, right? When you look at this, we're still slaves, but slaves to God, and in that is a life of freedom. So how can those things be? We're still slaves, but we're a slave to God now rather than sin. But how can that truly be freedom? What does that look like, and why is that like that? Well, it's interesting. 
The confusion started back in Genesis chapter 3. If you've been a part of church or you haven't, you know the story of Adam and Eve, I'm sure. So back in Genesis chapter 3, there's this fascinating story that you know about Adam and Eve, I'm sure. And you remember the story that God made this beautiful place for humanity in this paradise, this garden, and it was beautiful and amazing, and, and humanity was truly free, free from sin and shame and guilt, and they walked with God unhindered in the cool of the day. Amazing and profound when you think about it. They were probably swimming with sharks, like cuddling with grizzly bears, kissing crocodiles. It was just beautiful and paradise. And God gave them very clear boundaries. He said, man, everything here is for you, except this one tree, this one tree I want you to stay away from and not eat of it. But what's fascinating, do you remember, when Satan's in the garden to tempt them, where does he find them? He didn't lure them, be like, come here, come look at this tree. They were standing by the tree. With all the freedom they had, tree that God said don't stand don't go near don't eat and he came to tempt them what's amazing and the serpent as he does with each one of you and myself he gets them to question the nature of God his heart and their understanding of freedom listen what it says in Genesis 3 he said to the woman did God actually say he's trying to press on it and twist God's words a little bit did God actually say you shall not eat of, tree of, any, of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So he's playing on the words. He's helping them to mistrust what God actually said. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Is that a wrong statement? That's actually a true statement. Their eyes will be opened to sin and brokenness. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's, there's truth to that. But he's pressing on them, just wrestling with, man, does God really know it's best for me? Does God really, is he restricting me somehow? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see what the serpent does? He exaggerates the boundaries of God to seem unreasonable or even oppressive. Unreasonable or even oppressive. Like, God defined freedom as being able to live and love and flourish within this amazing boundaries that he placed them in. And what happens is the serpent redefines freedom. Do you remember what we talked about at the beginning? The freedom, no, it should be that you are right to act or speak or think however you please without any hindrance or restraint. And what happens is when we redefine freedom, all that's left is actually slavery and brokenness that the fruit we're producing is rotten. Separation from God, sin, death, thorns now. Man, who loves the garden? I don't, but it's even harder now. There's pain and childbirth now because of that. A great tragedy that God has something to the way he set things up. I'm going to show you this way. Um, some of you may not know, I used to be a musician. So bear with me, right? So, can you hear that? It's semi-beautiful, it's okay. 
play, right, in the confines of music, the boundaries. It's beautiful. I mean, that's the key of D. I could switch to C. And someone can play much better than I can, but as loud as I play within the boundaries, the beauty, the framework of music, it works. It's beautiful, but I was up here, if I was up here and... Sounds like chaos, it's horrible, man. The moments when you're playing worship and someone goes off key and everybody's like, ah! We've all been there. But God created music to be beautiful, right? Not chaos, but beautiful. Except when I hit the right notes. And how dare us as we look at God? You created us. And you know what's best for us, you know what's beautiful. And for us to look back at No, God created us perfect. And when you talk about restrictions, it's funny, I grew up in a culture in church that I want to do away with. Not everything, obviously my upbringing was fantastic. But I grew up in a culture where there's a list of things that Christians can't do. Like, don't do these things. And it's a hindrance. And man, you you better not do any of this stuff or else God's going to be mad at you. Man, we as followers of Jesus, rather than that, need to show our children and the next generation, God is not about restricting your life. God is about giving you freedom. God is about giving you abundance in, in the way that you live if you will follow after him. And when we don't follow after him, it's not just about the things that we can't do. It's that what God wants what's best for us. And when I walk in that brokenness, my life becomes chaotic because I'm walking in sin. And the God of the universe who created me knows what will fulfill me, knows what I'm longing for, calls me to walk in such a way that I will have the most freedom. And we need to stop talking all the things we can't do. Sure, there's a bunch of them, but start talking about the beauty of walking in obedience. The beauty of what it looks like. And the chaos of what it's like when we don't. And we follow after our own rules because we feel too restricted by God. Because everything in life is the most beautiful when we play within the sandbox of it being beautiful. So I just ask you, what fruit are you reaping? And when we live as slaves to righteousness, we experience fruit of that obedience. But Paul tells us in Galatians, in another book of the Bible, Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, its passions, and desires. Can I ask you, are those things common in your life? Love, joy, peace, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, in a generation where we need it the most, gentleness. Because those things are the things that the manifestation of the Spirit working in me produce. Can I tell you, more and more in the days ahead, we need the Spirit of God to produce fruit within me because there's days when I don't want to, in the cultural moment I'm in, to be gentle, to be self-controlled, to be good, to create peace. Paul also describes the opposite, that when we live in sin, this is what we produce. He says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, in verse 19 of Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that not describe the cultural moment we're in? I mean, just read some of those things. Sexual morality, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and stop pointing the finger at the world because it's happening in the church. Until we can figure out our own stuff, we got to stop telling everybody else how to do their stuff. It has to start with us. It has to start with me. That I crucify the sin that is in me that I'm walking in just because I'm under the grace of God and walking in freedom. Man, I'll tell you what, I tell you, I promise you, the world will look in a lot differently when I'm walking by the Spirit of God in gentleness, in love, in grace. Are those things said of you? What fruit are you producing? One way? leads to slavery and brokenness, and maybe that's the way you feel right now, and the other way leads to freedom and calm and beauty like on the piano, the way that God created us to live. Lastly, as you ask the question, what destiny awaits you, and this is quick, This is one of the more famous verses in all of Scripture as we learn the Romans road within Christianity. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the old self works for sin, and it earns a wage. The big payout is death, both physically and spiritually, right? Sin from Adam and Eve produced death, that now people die. And also, it it produces death spiritually. Can I tell you, if you're in Christ, you've given your life to Christ, and you're still walking in sin, it's still producing spiritual death. Not that you're losing your salvation, but your walk with Jesus will be dead if you're just living in sin. This is the wages of sin. But the gift of God, he says, the new self, that we walk in is under the grace that we receive. The beautiful thing about the gospel is the wages that you received as a follower of Jesus, you didn't even work for. You didn't earn. They were given to you. Christ won them. The payout of the gospel is eternal life in Christ, our Lord, on 
the cross? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Maybe you're here today or you're watching online, and maybe the reason why you've been wrestling for so long with the brokenness of sin in your life is because you've never stepped in, professed Christ as your Savior, given him your life, and trusted in what he did for you on the cross, believing in him and nothing else for your salvation. Maybe today's that day. It'll change your destiny and where you'll be for all of eternity. Man, everyone is a slave, but only Christians are free. But I want to know, are you living in freedom? Are you living in freedom? Or are you just living one day at a time, one day the next, another day of slavery, another day of brokenness? I want us to go into, at the end of the service now, if you grab your communion elements, I just want us to take a moment. I thought, what a time for reflection to end after the service with being able to take communion together. And taking a moment, I'll invite the band to come out, and they're going to play a song. I just want us to sit and reflect and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us as we set our affections and our hearts on what Christ did for us so long ago on the cross. That the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That maybe today we can remember the fact that the wages you earned for your salvation, as we sit and reflect on the cross of Christ and what he did for us on the cross, we're reminded that those wages were not earned by me, they were earned by Christ. And ask Jesus maybe to help us walk today new and afresh in freedom. And the Apostle Paul calls us in, as we're taking communion, to not take it unworthily. You know what that means? It means that we wouldn't take communion in such a flippant way, that we would take this wafer that represents his body and this juice that represents his blood, all the while saying, it doesn't matter, I'm living completely against what he did for me on the cross. And I'll just take it, no big deal. I'll just give you pause for a moment to say, you might want to think about that. It says, for this reason, some are sick and some even sleep, which means they die. That it's no small thing to God. His grace is sufficient yesterday, and he wants to meet you in that brokenness, in our brokenness. May we today do some heart evaluation as they play, maybe reflect on the word, pray before the Lord. God, is there un, there broken things in me that I have not dealt with? And if there are, God, help me today to walk in freedom. God, I know that today this is what's best for me. I know that you have freedom for me. You have beauty for me. You're not restricting me. You made me, created me. You know exactly what I need and what will fulfill me the most. So let's spend some time for a moment. I'll come back up in a moment after we're done singing and we'll take communion together. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for just today and the moments we have together to be able to hear your word. For today, God, I ask that you would help us to not just leave this place flippantly, that today we would ask real questions, we would really wrestle with, God, what is it in my life? Where are you calling me? Am I walking in freedom? What, what, who am I a slave to? What thing, what job, what person, what ideology that I want to repent of today, and the only person I want to be a slave to, God, is you. What fruit am I producing? And maybe, the God, that will help us get back to who is our slave when we look at the fruit of our life and what is producing. 
And thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for what we're about to celebrate because you secure our destiny, not how much we worked or how hard we, we, we did our best, whatever it may be. No, God, because you died on the cross for me. And God, we need you today. Remind us of what you did for us, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are alive to righteousness today. It's in your great powerful name we pray, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.